Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 118 of The Yacking Show. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives for the changing world we are living in, and it's certainly changing. As always, we have interesting guests for you. Today is no exception. We're going to delight in our guest today. He's got lots of interesting stuff to talk about. I don't want to steal Kathleen's thunder by introducing our guest or saying too much. So first job for me. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? I'm doing great, Peter. The sun is shining. I'll take it. It's wonderful. Thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So do please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we have another special guest with us today. His name is Taylor Eland. Welcome, Taylor. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Very good. Thanks. Congratulations. I understand you are, you are now a university graduate, so good for you. But you are you. also a podcast host with an interest in politics, philosophy, and history. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and what led you to this passion, uh, to be passionate about these topics I just mentioned? Sure. Um, I've always found myself to be interested in politics. I've been making people angry with my views since freshman year of high school. Uh, growing up as a younger conservative, you, you, you very quickly don't make many friends because the youth tend to be more liberal or more left-leaning or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, you know, I just, I cut my teeth arguing with people in high school, undergrad, and not so much in law school. I kept myself more there, but, um, I've always been interested in politics. I've always been interested in how people work and how societies work. Uh, studying history can teach us a lot about, uh, how to handle the issues both today and in the future. It's a very Confucian thought, but it seems to be true. And, you know, as I was studying biology in undergrad and later on in law school, I always kept history and politics on the side. It's just something that I find terribly interesting, even though most people aren't very well versed in any of these topics. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually I started a show. It's called Contrarics. It's uh, myself and oftentimes guests or my co-hosts who are typically all conservative. Liberals don't tend to come out as much. And we just talk about everyday issues that are, you know, happening in the U.S. primarily. Uh, I'm currently going through a mini-series for the month of May in on China and the CCP and their history and what makes them um, the force they are and, you know, what you can and can't actually do in the country. It's been a fascinating look um, that I think that, you know, even though it's my show, I'm going to plug it. I think people should actually listen to it regardless of it being me. Uh, it, it's very telling and how they operate. And, you know, these are the type of topics that's just, they're interesting. It's important wow. to know what's going on in our world. Excellent. I agree. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, you're preaching to the converted in many ways here, talking about being a young conservative. I, I did the same, traveled the same road as you, made myself very unpopular in my use because I was on the right end of the political spectrum. And most of the people I came in contact were not. And we still seem to have that problem. I want to talk yeah. to you more uh, just now about your thoughts on the virus. But seeing as you mentioned China, let, let's start with that. Uh, sure. I noticed on your podcast, you have several episodes on China. I haven't had a chance to listen to all of them yet. So the, the question that uh, concerns me um, is, do you see China as a more serious threat to the global stability than Russia? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, 
I have to be careful here because my, my knowledge of modern Russia is not nearly as strong as my knowledge of the USSR, but the reality of the world as it currently stands is that the, the economy, as we saw with COVID, clearly is reliant on China. Uh, we mm-hmm. couldn't get PPE in the early months of the pandemic because of China's grip on the, on the world economy. Uh, China's history for thousands of years uh, it's been the superpower, for lack of a better term, until very recently, and it's trying to regain that status. Uh, Xi Jinping and the CCP are—they're no—they're not nice people, you know. I, the the people of China are fine; their government is trash, mm-hmm. type of situation, and they're they're very—they're horrifically clamping down on freedom, and they're trying to expand their out influence outside of their borders, and they're doing so by playing the long game. Russia is not doing the infrastructure projects that China is doing in places Mm -hmm. like Africa or Latin America or South America or even here. And the reality of it is, is that you can't, you know, this notion that Russia is still the boogeyman of the world, the the complicating factor is that Russia has nukes, um, but Putin has a lot on his plate right now, especially with the democracy protests going on in his country and the geopolitical affairs that are happening around him in Russia. China doesn't have these same issues. China has a very top-down authoritarian approach. The people aren't really able to revolt in the same way. And they're bringing much of the third world up with them and mm-hmm. with such something the Western world is not doing. And they're making a lot more allies than we are. Um, so yes, absolutely. China is the the number one geopolitical force to reckon with in the coming years and that needs to be dealt with sooner mm-hmm. rather than later absolutely mm-hmm. sorry kathleen i'm going to just press taylor on another one i i spent most of my life in africa and i saw how china is effect effectively colonizing africa with the dollar rather than with uh the administration that the Western powers originally did, British, German, French. Um, I saw with my own eyes in Zambia how they would build highway, a new highway to the airport and a new soccer stadium. Wouldn't ask for a cent up front, but they would say, but we need to export to you our little plastic sandals at no cost. And we want, we don't want there any, to be any import duty, which, you know, very quickly put the little mum and dad uh, Zambian plastic sandal manufacturers out of business. There was a lot of animosity. In fact, one of the Chinese ambassadors, or not ambassador, employees was killed um, because of that when I was there. And they've done this throughout Africa. So they're, they're smart. They're not um, arousing world opinion of being new colonialists because they're doing it, as you say, playing the long game and doing it by controlling the economy. So that, that's a real fear in, in my mind. I'm monopolizing you on China. So let's get back to Kathleen. She wanted to ask you something else. Well, no. What are your thoughts on the whole handling of this virus? I I think it depends on the jurisdiction. So my thoughts are complicated because I, d- I don't follow the typical conservative line here. Mm-hmm. I think what we saw was a massive failure of many different sectors of society. So for example, in the early days, um, like when we thought it was a 3% death rate, no matter who you were, um, I, I pretty I, very early on was kind of like that doesn't make sense. Younger people are going to be able to take this just fine. I thought it was upon. I thought it would have been in the best interest for my generation to stand up and do all the work while you know if we're going to do this two weeks would that turned into a year, but two weeks to stay home type of deal. Um, I thought it would have been really beneficial and just generally good PR for my generation. We need it uh, to kind of stand up and take the reins while everyone else is staying at home because we could get sick and we would be less likely to die and. I think that would have been like the perfect scenario given the freedoms that the West enjoys, but it didn't happen. Um, you know, looking at a lot of the literature and looking at the way the media has handled a lot of things, there there's a breakdown in a couple of different categories. So 
I studied biology in my undergrad. So reading, you know, sciencey stuff and um, scientific articles and stuff like that. Scientists are really bad communicators. Uh, they have the incessant need to feel intelligent, um, mm -hmm. to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, they speak very analytically. They speak very technically. There's no room for nuance. There's no room for error. And that, that means they have to use these big words that the general public just doesn't understand because they've never encountered them in their life. Um, when they came out, when the, when the virus started, they were coming out being super cautious. And this is what scientists do. Scientists don't have to worry about the economy. They don't have to worry about crime. They don't have to worry about politics. They don't have to worry about human trafficking. They don't have to worry about drug trafficking. They don't have to worry about their next paycheck because they live in their ivory tower doing mm -hmm. science in a university, probably with a tenured position. It, it's so they were super cautious and they said, well, you know, we should maybe lock down for a couple of weeks. We'll beat this now. We'll slow the, you know, we'll, we'll stop the spread. We'll slow the curve or whatever the term was. And the media then takes this messaging and the scientists are horrible communicators. And then you have the media, which they're horrible communicators too. And on top of that, they have half of, at least my country in the US, half of, the, half of us don't even trust them. Um, and they're talking about a topic that they don't know what they're talking about mm -hmm. because they're not scientists. So you have the horrible communicators feeding information to the media, uh, which isn't great at communicating itself. And of course, it's more of a political vessel anymore. And they're spinning it and creating this new message. And again, because they think they've turned into the priesthood of scientists, um, they're, they're not considering, again, the economy, the, the real life ramifications of everyday individuals. Um, now, that being said, some governments have done better than others in handling this. Uh, I live in California. California was pretty restrictive from the start. Actually, in the start of pandemic, I was in Washington state, uh, which was always two weeks behind California. Whatever Governor Newsom did, Governor Inslee would do just a little bit later. So it was still basically the same experience. And earlier on, they were restrictive and they were just being overtly cautious and that's their right to do. But we've seen other governors um, throughout my country and other places throughout the world be less restrictive and more, I would say scientific because they looked at the data as it was. And they also realized, you know, some people, there, there's more to life than a virus and people have to make decisions for themselves and they need to figure out what's important to them, not what's important to me that I'm going to force onto them. Um, so, you know, so, the response, go ahead. No, I was just going to say now that we're seeing so many global protests as we witnessed this past weekend, which really didn't cover, didn't get a whole lot of media coverage, but there've been thousands and thousands of people worldwide protesting these lockdowns. Is there perhaps a greater issue here than just uh, the virus? Is it a much bigger issue in terms of the loss of our freedoms and, and our civil rights? I think you can trace most things back to an issue of culture. The, there's 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 this sort of myth going around right now that you know we, we've lost our um, appreciation for freedom and stuff like that. And I mean, although that may be true, it's it's sort of misdiagnosing the problem. Throughout history, people tend to follow authority. I mean, this is just one of the the, the truths that is history. This is why Putin in Russia does have enormous support, even though we may look at him and go, it doesn't make sense to us. Um, this is why even Xi Jinping has tons of support in China. And this is why the Shah has support in Iran. People tend to follow the authoritarian structures, whatever the authority structures, whatever they look like that are over them. And right now, the authority structures is, you know, 
institutions that have been around a while in the US uh, and number one of that is media. I think people have an issue educating themselves. I think people have an issue filtering out BS. I think people have an issue um, of dealing with conflict. I don't think people want mm -hmm. to handle conflict. So I, I think when, if you want to like trace it all back to a singular point of problems for culture for the society at large it's that we have a culture problem at the end of the day um, and right now there's one side that has a stranglehold on the culture and those of us who are aware of history know where this line of thinking coming from the left for lack of a better term right now it doesn't end well and we we know this so we, it's our duty to sort of push back on it um, while also acknowledging our own limitations and where our side can go wrong so i think it's a culture issue not necessarily mm -hmm. like a media issue or a or, or an authority issue even. But the mm, media is part of the problem, wouldn't you say? The media is certainly part of the problem, but the originating factor of why the media is part of the problem is because people um, are ultimately the issue. For, for example, uh, the media is only responding to market forces. If you're the, mm. the, the, the producer at CNN and you're, you're hiring a writer and you have a liberal writer and you have a conservative writer, Right. And the liberal writers articles always get more clicks and therefore more money. And the conservative writer just doesn't get as much money. And then you're hiring for a new writer and you have a liberal candidate and a conservative candidate and your company. The, you're going to pick the one that's most likely to make you the most money. And these are market forces. So the media is, yes, a massive issue, but I hesitate to call it the issue when realistically we much it's more likely we have a a huge culture problem. And mm -hmm. I say this because like, if you go on Twitter or Facebook, for example, people just read headlines and then that's, that's the whole story. They don't click the link. They don't read more. They don't do their own research. And, and it's, you know, I'm biased, but I'll say there tends to be a uh, political side that does it more than the other. And that side is the side that's creating more clicks. So they, they are ultimately commandeering the space and mm -hmm. that's a lot of, for a number of reasons. There's a lot of censorship as well, though through social media. Of course. Media. Yeah. Yes. But right right now, when reading alternate news sites, it, it would appear that CNN's viewership and support is plummeting, in fact. Yes, it is. And, and you know, this is, this is good in, in a lot of ways. Then conservatives, the right, whatever you want to call the, the, the everybody else um, need to do a better job of returning to the battlefields that they have left. A huge yep. reason why liberals have the stranglehold they have is because conservatives left the media. Conservatives mm -hmm. left academia. They, they've even left the church in yeah. this country, which is, yeah. which is astounding to me. Conservatives have made a massive error in assuming that the only battlefield that matters is the political one, because it's the only one they can occasionally win. And they really need to do a better job of, um, creating culture of educating mm -hmm. our children of doing all these different things and we're seeing examples of this starting to come up now uh, there's a yep. there's an independent rapper uh named tom mcdonald who is making mm -hmm. waves in the, you know the moderate and the right-leaning communities for his music and he's a rapper and it's like face tattoos everything and conservatives need to do a better job of you know becoming allies with these types of people who share their values even if they don't share every single value right and right. You know, as long as, you know, they continue to make, they need to make movies, they need to make TVs, they need to make good movies and good TVs, because a lot of the conservative stuff before is not that great. Um, they need to make good YouTube videos, which, you know, there are people doing that. And as long as they continue down this path, they need to return to academia, they need to become professors, they need to start their own universities, they, but they need to do so in a tolerant way. And as long as conservatives do that, you know, the, the battle will get better, but 
we have to see it before you know I'm going to say it's going to happen. Right. I, I, I've read a book uh, a couple of times from a guy I follow, have been following on in the internet for about 12 years. His name is Roy Williams. He's a really clever advertising guy from Texas and runs a private, he calls it the Marketing University. And his book is called The Pendulum Theory. And he's traced history back to Roman times. And he reckons that we go from peak to peak. Every 80 years, society swings from a me generation to a we generation. And he's projecting, uh, and as I say, he wrote the book in 2012, that 2023 will be the, the peak of the we generation and it will all start coming back again. And if I look at his examples, I, I can see some merit in that. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think we, we go in these swings of, of society, drastic swings over a long period? Uh, history certainly has its rhythm and cadence. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it depends on the culture. For example, like... The Russians go through swings, but none of the but mm. no part of their swing involves freedom. You know, they they went from no. czars to um to Stal to Lenin to Stalin back to you know more lenient uh, dictators back down to democracy with Putin, who's been bouncing back and forth to appease the West um, for twenty years now. Yeah, and you, you know history has a cadence. Uh, the U.S. cadence, I think, I can sort of fall in line with that like it, it passes the sniff test because if you look back let's see 80 years ago i might have an issue with the number 80 years ago would have been the 40s and i don't think we were mm-hmm. much of well maybe we were we i can go either way with it but I, what i see now is more of an fdr 1920s new deal yeah. um type of politic going on than i do um yeah the 40s but yes history has its cadence and i do think we're in a cadence i do think we're in a what i would call a low uh, mm-hmm. The problem with these cadences is that they, they're not like cyclical and that they always happen with the same rhythm. I mean, the culture no. has, to, has to continue the track of history down whatever path it wants to go down. And as long as, you know, the, the, the right side of history, whatever that looks like, does their due diligence, they will become the right side of history. So I agree, I agree with that statement. There, there's certainly something going on and it's certainly been seen before. Yes. Kathleen, back to you. Actually, I think you had another question that you wanted to ask. <laughs> I, I've got a burning one with Kathleen doesn't like, but I'm going to ask it anyway. All right. I, I'm a relatively new Canadian. I've only been here 17 years, been, having spent all my life in Africa and having been one of a few in the world that did resist authority. And our country, like your country, declared uh, unilaterally declared independence from Britain back in 1965 in our case. So we knew what it was like to be a very small part against the world. However, that's that's background. But coming to Canada, and I love Canada, don't get me wrong, it's, it's really great. Um, and I love Canadians. But I'm somewhat mystified that so many Canadians seem to feel morally superior compared to their American neighbors. And, and I'm not sure of the real reason for that. Have you got any ideas on that? Um, well, I, 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 I'm going to answer that, but I want to kind of lay down some background. Mm. Canada is the second largest country by landmass. Maybe yep. the first. Uh, I think second. second I think after after Russia. Russia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has the population smaller than the state of California. Yeah. Um, Canada has a large GDP per capita, but you know, it's still a small country economically. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, Canada benefits, and I say this as an American, so you can scrutinize my bias, but they benefit from their relative proximity economically, militarily, and politically, socially, all this to 
America. They're America yeah. light. Um, you, you know, Canadians benefit from our culture. They benefit from our military. They don't have to go to war. The, war, the wars that we're going to fight. If we go to war or they go to war, we're going to come and defend them. We have the bigger military. We have the firing power. Um, it, it's very easy for people who don't have to do as much. And I say this, and I don't say this to be condescending, but when you don't have to, you don't have, to do as much, it's easier to point. Um, mm. In my conversations with Canadians, it's been explained to me like this, and it's been explained to me like this more than once. Americans have, by, by and large, Americans by and large have a fixation on freedom. And the, and the foundation of our culture is ultimately freedom. Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. Constitution, Declaration of Independence. We learn these things since we're like four. It's a huge part of who we are. Canadians look at the world and they would rather have order um, that isn't to say that freedom isn't important. It is to Canadians, but it's not as important as order. Order is more important. And, you know, they, they, they tend to be uh, nicer. They tend to be more considerate of their neighbors and stuff like this. And when you're a Canadian and you look at your government and you have socialized healthcare and, you know, you have amazing nature and you aren't fighting as much with your fellow countrymen and women. Um, and you look down to the South and you see, you know, us backwoods, rednecks, Americans with our McDonald's and shotguns and pistols and AR-15s and school shootings and bad health care, which is not really true, but whatever. Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to act morally superior because you can just look, you can look around and see, see it, we're doing it. It's not that hard. It's like, well, yeah, you're doing it with a tenth the population and you don't have to really worry about military. You don't have to worry about becoming a cultural powerhouse because you just piggyback off of us. You don't have to really worry about your own economics because you can just build off of our economy. Of course, it looks easy to you because you're, you're, you're operating off of our foundation. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, America has done that on purpose. We, we, we exert ourselves much like China into much of the world. Um, so that's just one of the, the benefits and also a drawback of being a world power. Um, but, you know, a lot of Americans think they're morally superior to other Americans. I, I, would, I wouldn't do the classification so much on national borders mm-hmm. as more, it's more of a political, social thing is you know it's the rural urban split for example because there's going to be lots of canadians who are mistreated by their fellow countrymen and women because they don't live in ontario they don't live in vancouver they live in the the boonies up north and you know they're not treated well either so i i I would see it more as a social thing and less of a national Mm -hmm. no interesting and you're absolutely right about the urban rural split we see that very much i i live in a very outside i live on a farm outside a very small city and attitudes on a lot of stuff, especially on the virus and the lockdowns are completely different to yep. where I live to, to the large cities and voting and everything. And it's all quite different. Yeah. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> tell us about your podcast. You started your podcasts and you're up 40, 50 episodes already. I think um, some you fly solo, some you have guests. So tell our guests a little bit more about your podcast. Sure. The podcast is Contrarics. What, the end goal is what the, you know, the mission statement Mm -hmm. is to examine the big tent of American conservatism. Uh, Right now, the American right has a branding issue for a number Mm -hmm. of reasons. Uh, Normally, you know, in a perfect world, it's myself and a co-host and his name is Kyle. He's an elected official down in San Diego County. And he, uh, he represents the more traditional Republican line of thinking. And then there's me and I tend to be more moderate libertarian streak, still conservative, but you know, we're bickering over the semantics at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're trying to do is examine 
you know, the American system and American history and American culture and looking at it from a conservative point of view and trying to sort of provide intelligent arguments for why things are happening to provide analysis on why things are happening. Um, all while just having a good time and having an excuse to talk to each other. And then more recently we've started bringing on guests. Um, Kyle's been busy. I've been busy. So we haven't lined up perfectly, uh, but we've been bringing on guests to continue examining this large tent. We've looked at issues ranging from um, our own homegrown ideas on the show, like splitting up large states all the mm -hmm. way to the national security implications of Russia was a recent one that we released before May. And, and that was way outside of my ballpark. And I had a guest come on and he explained it to me, I think quite well. Um, so really it's a, it's a conservative Republican podcast. It's not like a Ben Shapiro clone. It's not mm -hmm. a louder with Crowder. We are our own thing. I cannot find another show that's quite like us, uh, which I'm proud of. You know, there, there are too many clones of other people kind of going mm -hmm. on, on the internet. So yeah, that, that's what it is. It's a conservative Excellent. podcast. You want some politics that's not Ben Shapiro. Check it out. Excellent. I've got one more question if we have time. Kathleen, have you got anything else? I, no, go ahead, Peter. I think we have a couple of minutes. One that, again, something that mystifies me about uh, politics in your country is if I look at, and again, I'm coming from the same side of the spectrum, probably further right than you and, and with my background as a maverick and uh, a nonconformist, I, I look at um, Donald Trump's presidency and I think this has got to be the best, if you look at the economy, jobs and, and foreign relations, it's got to be the best president since Reagan. And yet half your country thinks he's an absolutely terrible guy. And What's the real reason? It's not his performance as a president, surely. Is it well, his bad tweets? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I'll get to the tweets. Um, the, it's not abundantly clear that, the, that our country agrees on what is the metric for success. So we have okay. a lot of individualists and we have a lot of collectivism. That's what happens when you're a melting pot. Uh, you're, you, you have to tolerate different points of view. So there are lots of people who don't like capitalism, who don't like private healthcare, who don't like um, interf interfering in, in geopolitics, which is funny because he didn't really do that, but we'll, I'll get to that. Um, so there, there are a, a number of people who didn't like his policies and that's, that's just going to always be the case in American politics. The right sure. hates the left, the left hates the right. All right. Now you add on top of it, his personality. It, um, I, I don't think people should vote for politicians on personality, but the reality is people do. Uh, I don't, I didn't like his personality in the same token. I care more about results. And I'll be honest in 2016, had my ballot arrived, it didn't. Um, I, I would have not voted for Trump as a conservative. I was going to write in a candidate and focus on statewide elections because I believe statewide elections should be more important anyway. Um, in 2020, I did vote for Trump and I did like no questions asked. Like, you know, middle, the, the peace in the middle East was like, reason enough before you Absolutely. even get into the economy, before you get into military, before you get into all these different things. But the reality of it is, is that people don't like his personality and the media amplified that. They found yeah. what people don't like about Trump. They amplified it and he gave, they gave him all sorts of bad press. Um, and you know, he, credit where credit is due, he kind of sucked at handling it. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he, he wasn't articulate, and that's important if you're going to constantly be mouthing off. He couldn't shut up for the life of him. The only reason he lost the 2020 election is because he refused to shut up. All Joe Biden had to do was stand there, quite literally, and mm -hmm. Trump would undo himself, and he did. 
Um, you don't you don't see this as much with with rising figures like DeSantis. DeSantis is articulate. He knows how to handle the yep. media. Um, he, he and he knows when to shut up. I mean, he's not constantly tweeting. So, I think a lot of it was his uh, character. And I think for a lot of people, I mean, I can ask a simple question, and I'll typically get the same response. Although some people may say the money is more important. If you have a daughter, ask yourself a simple question: Would you want her dating Trump? <laughs> with his history with women, with his history with business, with his history of being shady, with his history of being a narcissist. I mean, there are all these things, which if, sure. if, if I have a daughter, I would let her anywhere near Trump. And some people voted on that. And I think, right. is, it, is it the best way to vote? No, but can I understand it? Sort of. Was it over amplified by the media? Absolutely. But there was a kernel of truth there. So I, I, I hesitate to dismiss it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Sure. No, good answer. Thank you for that explanation. That's that's a good one. Good. So is, is DeSantis in line, you think, for the, to be the next president? Um, from rumblings that I've heard, Trump is running again. I had my issue with that. Uh, 2016 Trump would look at 2014, 2024 Trump and go loser. And that would mm-hmm. be the end of it. Um, this is, you know, he, he famously said on the 2016 stage, I forget to which candidate, but they had previously lost a race and he was like, why would we elect you? You're already a loser. And it's just yeah. kind of like that. I think that statement's going to come back to haunt him in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine if Trump runs and what I've heard is that if Trump runs in 2024, DeSantis is not running. DeSantis is not my pick personally. Um, I mean, I'll support him over Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, if that's what it is. But uh, I I would prefer a Nikki Haley type of personality who's Mm -hmm. extremely tactful, understands uh, foreign policy, understands domestic policy, and also, you know, is being graceful in front of the cameras here in the States, was an absolute attack dog in the UN. And I think that's something that we need more than somebody who just messes with the media. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. So we're getting to the end of our time. Yes, we've... we certainly are. Uh, so if somebody wanted to contact you, Taylor, how do they do that? Uh, the easiest ways to do it, you can go to either contrarix.com. There's a little form there if you really want to get my email inbox. You can find us on Instagram at Contrarix. Um, I'm on Facebook and others as well, but Instagram is the one I use the most right now. And of course, you can also actually look me up on Clubhouse if you want to speak to me directly. Uh, and it, My handle is at Taylor. I think it's Taylor R. Elon, but I will confirm those details with the host. Yeah, let us and they can put yeah. it. Yeah. And you know, those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. Great. We will put those all on. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we're out of time, but we'll... uh, Okay, thanks. Back to you, Kathleen. Oh, all right. Thank you so much, Taylor. And thank you all so much for tuning in. Once again, we love reading your comments, so please keep those coming. And again, if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to Peter or myself. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.